Well, Shabbat Shalom, brothers and sisters. Glad to have you back for another exciting episode of God Honest Truth live stream. And tonight, we're going to be teaching all about the roles of men and women as it goes according to Scripture. Now, there's many different things that are said about the roles of men and women, especially when it comes to marriages and how men are supposed to act like husbands and women are supposed to act like wives. But as believers in Yeshua and followers of Yahweh, we are to base what we believe and what we do on the foundation, which is Scripture. And tonight, we're going to be looking into Scripture for the roles of both men and women, and of course, also men and women together. So definitely stay tuned for that. But before we get to that, we're going to be doing our uh, liturgy, we're going to be doing our Torah portion, Haf Torah portion, and Brit Chadashah portion also. Now, if you're just joining us for the first time, we'd like to say Shalom and welcome. We are God Honest Truth, and we are a Messianic ministry based out of Western North Carolina. You can find out more about us by going to our website at www.godhonesttruth.com. There you can find not only information about the ministry, but you can find resources to help you in your walk in the faith, your education as far as biblical and scriptural stuff goes. You can find social media links to all our social media profiles, our video platform links, our audio podcast platform links. You can find audio Bibles and so much more. You can also find ways to contact us, but the best way to contact us is through email at team at godhonesttruth.com. So with all that being said, let's go ahead and dive right into our liturgy. Nefesh Yehudi Omiyam Ufateh Misrak Kadimam Ayin Lezion Sofiyam Olo Avda Tikvatehinu Atikva bachnot alpahim, lahiyotam kovshi, vehartenu, eret zion verusha lahim, excuse me, lahiyotam kovshi, vehartenu, eret Shema Israel, Yahweh Eloheinu, Yahweh Echad, Baruch Shem Kivod, Malhuto, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be his name, whose glorious kingdom is for eternity. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And have these words which I command you this day be upon your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your children, 
and speak of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. And you shall bind them for a sign upon your hand, and let them be frontlets between your eyes. And you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and upon your gates. So in the way of announcements this week, we're definitely going to be giving you the list of upcoming episodes and droshes for about the next two months or so. Like we said, tonight's teaching is going to be all about the roles of men and women, especially as it pertains to Scripture. So there's definitely going to be lots and lots of Scripture there. So have your notes handy for that. Now next week, we're going to be doing another, uh, like we say, scriptural dossier on another person from Scripture. And that person is going to be Samson. A Nazarite, very strong, definitely lots of things happening in his life. So stay tuned next week and also every week for each of these upcoming droshes. And you can find us every week on Fridays at 8 p.m. Eastern Time and right here on YouTube, Odyssey, Twitch, or the best place to find us is always going to be our website, www.godhonesttruth.com. And here's your list of feast days or Moedim for the next upcoming year, all the way through Hanukkah of next year. And of course, our next upcoming feast day is going to be Purim. And that starts on sunset of March 6th and runs through sunset of March 7th. Now, if you'd like to learn more about Purim, you can go back and watch last week's episode that we did on this feast day. And you can find out all about the history what happened, why it was established, what to do as far as uh, meals go, food and whatnot, all that good stuff. Go back and look on our website and you can find that drosh and that teaching on the feast day of Purim. And like always, if you have any prayer requests or announcements that you would like to have announced live on air, make sure to have those in to us by Thursday evening at the latest because we do go live on Friday evenings at 8 p.m. Eastern time. And if you would just like for us to pray for you or pray with you and not put your name on air, that's fine as well. Go ahead and just send those prayer requests to team at GodHonestTruth.com. So let's go ahead and get back to our liturgy. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, who has given us the way of salvation in Messiah Yeshua. He walked among us, filled with your Spirit. The only one who ever perfectly fulfilled your Torah. He healed the sick and raised the dead. The multitudes of our people sought his touch. He taught as no man taught. With authority he brought forth the treasures of the Torah. How the children sought him. The lepers he touched and made clean. How the despised and outcast found love and release from their sin. How the hypocrites feared him whose words uncovered their sin, despised and rejected, acquainted with grief, he bore the sins of Israel. All we, like sheep, have gone astray, turned every one to his own way. Our iniquities were laid upon the king, the sins of the world, his burden to bear. He rose from the dead and opened the way to life everlasting. Praise his name. We are in him. His spirit empowers. New life is ours with joy and peace. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, who has given us Messiah our King. For the sake of our Master Yeshua, in His merit and virtues, may the sayings of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be favorable before you, 
O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Avinu Shabbat Shabbayim Yit Kadesh Shimcha Tavo Mehutecha Yasa Retzonecha Baaret Kaasher Naasa Vashemayim Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Let thy kingdom come, let thy will be done, as on earth, so as in heaven. Ten Lanu Hayom Lechem Hukenu Uselach lanu et ashmatenu ka asher. Sulechim anachnu la asher ashmulanu. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Ve'al tevienu lide masa, ki im hatzilenu min hara. Ki lacha, hamam lacha, vahagavura, vahatifaret, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. None can compare to you, O Lord, and nothing compares to your creation. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your mercy endures throughout all generations. The Lord is King, the Lord was King, the Lord shall be King throughout all time. May the Lord grant His people mercy, may the Lord bless His people with peace. Proclaim the Lord's greatness with me, let us exalt Him together. And it came to pass, whenever the ark went forth, Moses would say, Arise, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered. May those who hate you flee from before you. For from Zion shall go forth the Torah, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Blessed be he who in holiness gave the Torah to his people, Israel. All right, and tonight's Torah portion is going to be Exodus chapter 37, verse 1, through chapter 38, verse 20. And we'll give you just a moment to find that in your preferred translation if you would like to read along with us at home. Exodus chapter 37 verse 1 through chapter 38 verse 20. And Bezalel made the ark of acacia wood two and a half cubits long and a cubit and a half wide and a cubit and a half long high. And he overlaid it with clean gold inside and outside and made a molding of gold all around it. And he cast four rings of gold for it, for its four feet, two rings on its one side and two rings on its other side. And he made poles of acacia wood, and overlaid them with gold. And he put the poles into the rings at the sides of the ark to lift the ark. And he made a lid of atonement of clean gold, two and a half cubits long, and a cubit and a half wide. And he made two cherubim of beaten gold. He made them from the two ends of the lid of atonement. One cherub at one end on this side, and the other cherub at the other end on the other side. He made the cherubim from the lid of atonement from the two ends, and the 
Carabim spread out their wings above and covered the lid of atonement with their wings with their faces toward each other. The faces of the Carabim were turned toward the lid of atonement. And he made the table of acacia wood two cubits long and a cubit wide and a cubit and a half high. And he overlaid it with clean gold and made a molding of gold all around it. And he made a rim of a handbreadth all around it and made a molding of gold for the rim all around it. And he cast four rings of gold for it and put the rings on the four corners that were at its four legs. The rings were next to the rim as holders for the poles to lift the table. And he made the poles of acacia wood to lift the table and overlaid them with gold. And he made the utensils which were on the table, its dishes and its cups and its bowls and its jars for pouring of clean gold. And he made the lampstand of clean gold. He made the lampstand of beaten work, its base and its shaft, its cups, its ornamental knobs, and its blossoms were from it. And six branches came out of its sides, three branches of the lampstand out of one side, and three branches of the lampstand out of the other side. There were three cups like almond flowers on one branch, with ornamental knob and blossom, and three cups like almond flowers on the other branch, a knob and a blossom, so for the six branches coming out of the lampstand. And on the lampstand were four cups like almond flowers, its knobs and blossoms, and a knob under the first two branches of the same, and a knob under the second two branches of the same, and a knob under the third two branches of the same, for the six branches coming out of it. Their knobs and their branches were of it, all of it were one beaten work of clean gold. And he made it seven lamps and its snuffers and its trays of clean gold. He made it of a talent of clean gold and all its utensils. And he made the incense slaughter place of acacia wood, a cubit long and a cubit wide, square and two cubits high. Its horns were of it, and he overlaid it with clean gold, its top and its sides all around and its horns. And he made a molding for it of gold all around it. And he made two rings of gold for it under its molding at its two corners on both sides as holders for the poles with which to lift it. And he made the poles of acacia wood and overlaid them with gold. And he made the set apart anointing oil and the clean incense of sweet spices according to the work of the perfumer. And he made the slaughter place of ascending offering of acacia wood five cubits long and five cubits wide, square, and three cubits high. And he made its horns on its four corners, the horns were of it, and he overlaid it with bronze. And he made all the utensils for the slaughter place, the pots and the shovels and the basins and the forks and the fire holders. He made all of its utensils of bronze, and he made a grating for the slaughter place, a bronze network under its rim, midway from the bottom. And he cast four rings for the four corners of the bronze grating as holders for the poles. And he made the poles of acacia wood and overlaid them with bronze. And he put the poles into the rings on the sides of the slaughter place with which to lift it. He made the slaughter place hollow with boards. And he made the basin of bronze and its stand of bronze from the bronze mirrors of the serving women who did service at the door of the tent of appointment. And he made the courtyard for the south side of the screens of the courtyard were of fine woven linen, 100 cubits long, their 20 columns and their 20 sockets of bronze. Their hooks of the columns and their bands were of silver. And for the north side, the screens were 100 cubits long, their 20 columns and their 20 sockets of bronze. The hooks of the columns and their bands were of silver. 
And for the west side, there, there were screens of 50 cubits, their 10 columns, and their 10 sockets. The hooks of the columns and their bands were of silver. And for the east side, eastward, 50 cubits. 15 cubits of screens on the one side with their three columns and their three sockets. And 15 cubits of screens the other side of the courtyard gate on this side and that side with their three columns and their three sockets. All the screens of the courtyard all around were of fine woven linen. And the sockets were, I'm, I'm sorry, and the sockets for the columns were of bronze, the hooks of the columns and their bands were of silver, and the overlay of their tops was sil of silver. And all the columns of the courtyard had bands of silver, and the covering for the gate of the courtyard was the work of an embroider, of blue and purple and scarlet material, and of fine woven linen, and twenty cubits long, and the height along its width was five cubits, corresponding to the screens of the courtyard. And the columns were four, and their sockets of bronze four. Their hooks were of silver, and the overlay of their tops and their bands was of silver. And all the pegs of the dwelling place and of the courtyard all around were of bronze. Borukata Yahweh Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Asher Natan Lanu Torah Temet Bechaye Olam Betukenu Borukata Yahweh Noten HaTorah Amen. This is the Torah which Moses placed before the children of Israel. It is in accord with the Lord's command by the hand of Moses. It is a tree of life to those who take hold of it, and those who support it are praiseworthy. Its ways are ways of pleasantness, and all its paths are peace. Bring us back, Lord, to you, and we shall come. Renew our days as of old. Et ha'im hi, lama ha'zim kimbab, betomehe ha meushar, derahe ha darhe noam, behonativote ha shalom. Ashivenu Adonai, Elehave Nashuvah, Hadesh, Hadesh Amenu, Hadesh Amenu, Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has chosen faithful prophets to speak words of truth. Amen. All right, and tonight's Haftor portion is going to be 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 8 through 22. And once again, we'll give you one more time to find that in your preferred translation if you'd like to read along with us at home. First Kings chapter 8, verses 8 through 22. 
And all the poles extended so that the ends of the poles were seen from the set-apart place in front of the speaking place, but they were not seen from outside. And they are there to this day. There was not in the ark only the two tablets of stone which Moshe put there at Horeb, where Yahweh made a commandment with the children of Israel when they came out of the land of Mitzrayim. And it came to be, when the priest came out of the set-apart place, that the cloud filled the house of Yahweh, so that the priests were unable to stand and perform the service because of the cloud. For the esteem of Yahweh filled the house of Yahweh. And Shalomo said, Yahweh has said he would dwell in the dark cloud. I have indeed built you an exalted house, an established place for you to dwell in forever. And the sovereign turned around and blessed all the assembly of Israel, while all the assembly of Israel was standing. And he said, Blessed be Yahweh, Elohim of Israel, who spoke with his mouth to my father Dawid, and with his hand has filled it, saying, Since the day I brought my people Israel out of Mitzrayim, I have chosen no city from any tribe of Israel in which to build a house for my name to be there, but I chose Dawid to be over my people Israel. And it was in the heart of my father Dawid to build a house for the name of Yahweh, Elohim of Israel. But Yahweh said to my father Dawid, Because it has been in your heart to build a house for my name, you did well in that it was in your heart. Only you do not build the house, but your son, who is coming from your loins. He does build the house for my name. Now Yahweh has established his word, which he spoke, and I have been raised up instead of my father Dawid, and sit on the throne of Israel, as Yahweh promised, and built a house for the name of Yahweh, Elohim of Israel, and have appointed there a place for the ark, wherein is the covenant of Yahweh, which he made with our fathers when he brought them out of the land of Mitzrayim. And Shalomo stood before the slaughter place of Yahweh, in front of all the assembly of Israel, and spread out his hands toward the heavens. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has given us the living word in Messiah Yeshua. Blessed are you, O Lord, giver of the renewed covenant. Amen. And tonight's Brit Shah portion is going to be 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. And one last time, we'll give you just a moment to find that in your preferred translation if you'd like to read along with us at home. First Peter chapter two verses four through ten. Drawing near to him, a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by Elohim and precious, you also, as living stones, are being built up, a spiritual house, a set apart priesthood, to offer up spiritual slaughter offerings acceptable to Elohim through Yeshua Messiah. Because it is contained in the scripture, see, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, chosen, precious, and he who believes on him shall by no means be put to shame. 
This preciousness then is for you who believe, but to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock that makes for falling, who stumbles because they are disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a set-apart nation, a people for a possession, that you should proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but now the people of Elohim, who had not obtained compassion, but now obtained compassion. Baruch atah Yahweh, Eloheinu melech ha'olam. Asher natan lanu ha'devar ha'emet, v'chaye olam betukenu. Baruch atah Yahweh, noten ha'brit ha'deshah. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who gave to us the word of truth and planted life everlasting in our midst. Blessed are you, O Lord, giver of the renewed covenant. Amen. All right, so now in just a moment, we're going to be getting to tonight's drosh on the rules of men and women. Before we do that, we're going to take just a short break, like always, to check up on our multi-streams that we're doing, which is to YouTube, Odyssey, and Twitch. So if you don't like one or if you can't get one, you've always got the option of the other two. And of course, the best way to watch us is through our website at GodHonestTruth.com. No searching, no clicking around through profiles. Just go to the website and it'll be right there for you. Easy peasy. And also before we get into tonight's drosh, go down below in the comments and let us know what it is that you think scripture tells us about the roles of men and women. Or does the scriptures even tell us about the roles of men and women? Just let us know your thoughts down below or at least the very top one that comes to mind anyways. While you're down there, also be sure to hit that like button and hit the subscribe button as well as ring that bell. That way you're notified every time we go live or upload a new on-demand video. And also hit that share button and share around with your friends, your family, your colleagues, or who have you. Because odds are, if you're watching this right now, there's bound to be someone else that you know that would enjoy this type of content. So hit that share button and share it around. And every time you do, we really, really, really do appreciate it. And we just thank you so, so much. Well, let's bring up tonight's drush. So like I said, this teaching is going to be all about the Feast of Purim. Oh, wrong one. There we go. Like I said, tonight's drosh is going to be all about what Scripture states about the roles of men and women. And we think this is a very important topic to cover because of the time and the culture that we live in, especially here in America. I don't know where everyone is who's watching right now, but here in America, there's various ideas going around about what men are supposed to do, what women are supposed to do, and it's really in secular society getting jumbled up and it's by design. But tonight, like I said, we're going to go through what scripture tells us, what our foundation tells us about the roles of men and women, 
what we're supposed to be doing as men, as husbands, as fathers, what we're supposed to be doing as women, as wives, as mothers. So definitely stay tuned and have your notes ready. But before we get into the meat of it, we're definitely going to go back and start at the beginning, the beginning of the world where everything started. And this, of course, is in the Garden of Eden when the first man and the first woman were created. Genesis chapter 2. And Yahweh Elohim said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I am going to make a helper for him as his counterpart. So Yahweh Elohim caused a deep sleep to fall on the man, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. And the rib which Yahweh Elohim had taken from the man, he made into a woman. And he brought her to the man, and the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This one is called woman, because she was taken out of man. Now this is also something that Paul, or the Apostle Shaul, elaborates on when he writes his letter to the Corinthians, or his first one anyways. 1 Corinthians 11.9 he states, For man also was not created for the woman, but woman for the man. Going back and looking at that passage that we just read in Genesis, that Yahweh took a rib out of Adam and created a woman as a helpmeet for Adam. But after Adam and Eve were created, then we see Yahweh giving the first orders, the first, first commands to the man and the woman. Genesis 1.28 And Elohim blessed them, and Elohim said to them, be fruitful and increase, and fill the earth and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over all creeping creatures on the earth. So man was given, or mankind rather, was given dominion over all the earth, over all the animals, over all the fish, over all the birds, was given complete rule and dominion over the earth. We see it again in Psalms 8, 4 through 8. What is man that you remember him, and the son of man that you visit him? Yet you have made him a little less than Elohim, and have crowned him with esteem and splendor. You made him rule over the works of your hands. You have put all under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, passing through the paths of the sea. So again, in general, we see that mankind was given dominion over the earth. Now, this is one of the commands that was originally given, but what was our purpose here on earth besides being fruitful and multiplying and having dominion over the earth? We'll read in Isaiah 43, 7, that all those who are called by my name, whom I have created, formed, even made for my esteem. So we see that we were created for the glory of Yahweh. And again, Ecclesiastes 12, 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the entire matter. Fear Elohim and guard his commands, for this applies to all mankind. So we're to fear Yahweh, to have that respect for him, and guard his commands. And no, the Torah and the commands of Yahweh have not been done away with. They're still relevant. They're still applicable. They're still in force. Okay? And that's what Ecclesiastes is telling us here, that this applies to all mankind. To fear Elohim, have that healthy respect for him, 
and guard his commands. So to recap this intro, so to speak here real quick, the woman was created out of the man, as we clearly read, and was created for the man as his helper, or help me as some translations call it. The woman was created to help the man. So that is what we can see in a marriage, what a marriage is supposed to be like even nowadays. A biblical marriage is, in part, the woman or wife helping the man. The men and women are to be fruitful and multiply. That was one of the first commands that were ever given to mankind. Men and women are to have dominion or rule over the animals and all the earth. Men and women were made for the esteem and the glory of Yahweh. Okay, we just read that too. You ask what your purpose is in life? Well, your main purpose here in life on this earth is for the glory of Yahweh. Worship him, serve him, obey his commands. Esteem the almighty creator. And we are to fear Yahweh, that healthy respect for Yahweh, and obey his commands, his Torah, his scriptures. So, that's kind of the overview of the beginning of mankind, where man and woman came from, the general purpose. And now, let's get into some more specifics. We're going to start off with the roles of men. And you'll see why in just a minute. But, just like we did with the intro section, we're going to start our section on roles of men Back at the beginning, we read in Genesis 3. And the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise. And she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made loin coverings for themselves. Now, notice something here. You might have seen this beforehand, but just in case you didn't, look what happens here. It's this passage we just read. It begins with a woman, and it says she saw the tree was good for food, and she took the fruit, and she ate. Now, what happened at that point? Okay, think about that. Before this, Adam and Eve are walking around in the garden. They're having communion with Yahweh, right? They're completely naked and just living in paradise, right? So now the woman goes to the, well, she's deceived by the serpent, right? But she goes to the tree of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. And she takes the fruit and she eats it. And what happens right here? Okay. We're not told that anything at all happens. But then we continue. And it says, and she also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made loin coverings for themselves. So, we can see that when the woman ate the fruit, we're not told that anything at all happened. But then, when the man ate the fruit, that's when their eyes were opened, they realized they were naked, and they covered themselves. Okay, that's when sin entered the world. So we've got from the very beginning, the man taking the responsibility for his family 
and what happens with his family. And this has implications for the rest all the way up to our time now, all over the earth. Because of the actions of this man and the responsibility he was supposed to have for his family. Right? And Paul elaborates on this when we look into his letter to the Romans in Romans 5.12. And he says, For this reason, even as through one man sin did enter into the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sin. He said it's because of one man. He didn't say anything about the woman here. He said the man, because it was the man's responsibility as the head of his household. Now, the household at his time, I'm sorry, his household at that time was just him and his wife, Eve. But he still had responsibility. He was still the head of his family, even way back there in the beginning. And because he didn't live up to his responsibility, sin entered the world. And Paul tells us here, it's through one man that sin entered the world. Not through the woman, through the man. Okay, and that's important on multiple aspects. What we're focused on here is the headship and the leadership, the patriarchy of the man, and the fault that went all the way back to the beginning of that first man. And we're even told many, many times in Scripture that the man is the head or the leader or the authority of the household. 1 Corinthians 11.3 And I wish you to know that the head of every man is the Messiah, and the head of woman is the man, and the head of Messiah is Elohim. Now keep this structure in mind, because we're going to look at that more in depth here in just a moment. But here we see that the head of man is Messiah. Not a preacher. Not a pope. Not a rabbi. But Messiah. The head of woman is the man, and the head of Messiah is Elohim or Yahweh. Okay? Does that make sense? You're not to base your, as a man, as a husband, as a father, leader of your family, you're not to base your final decision and responsibility on the teachings and guidance and whatnot of a church doctrine or a pastor or a pope or a rabbi. You're to decide that for yourselves. We're going to get more into depth than that here in just a moment, so hang on tight. But that's because the man is the head of the family, which includes the woman, the wife. And that's a great responsibility that we men have to take up, take the mantle of, and take responsibility for. Again, we're told in Ephesians 5.23, because the husband is the head of the wife, as also the Messiah is head of the assembly, and he is Savior of the body. So over the wife, her authority, her head, is her husband. Over the husband, his authority, his head, is Messiah. So we can look at the hierarchical structure as follows. We go all the way down, we have children. Right there at the bottom of the hierarchical authority structure. Then above them, they have the wife, the mother. She is head or the authority over the children. And over the wife and children is the husband or father. He is the wife and authority over the wife and the children. Then 
there's Yeshua, who has authority and headship over the husband. And who has authority and headship over Yeshua? Well, none other but Yahweh himself, who is supreme in authority and who has no one over him. And he's top dog. He's the almighty creator of heaven and earth. There is only one God, only one true God anyways, and that is Yahweh. He is supreme. He is mighty, Lord of lords, and he has no one in authority over him. He is in authority over everything. But it's the man who is the head of the wife, Yeshua who is the head of the man, and Yahweh who is the head of Yeshua. And that's how the hierarchical structure or authority structure goes as it's stated, as we just read, in Scripture. But within Scripture, and also within this authority role that men are placed into, as we're reading right now, we'll get into the roles of women in just a second, but as far as the roles of men go, there are many indeed. First and foremost, we're to be emulators of Yeshua. Set an example of how Yeshua lived, how Yeshua acted, how Yeshua did things. And one of the things that Yeshua exemplified was being a servant. We look at Matthew 20, 25 through 28. But Yeshua called them near and said, You know that the rulers of the nations are masters over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you, let him be your servant. Even as the son of Adam did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So one of the aspects that Yeshua taught us and lived his life out as was as a servant. He was serving his brothers and sisters during his time here on earth. Likewise, we as fathers and husbands are to emulate that aspect of Yeshua in servant leadership role. Yeah, we have authority and leadership and headship over our families, but we're not to do it in a lording, authoritarian manner. We're to do it in a servant manner like Yeshua did. Another aspect that Yeshua taught us was humility, right? Yeshua was definitely humble. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. For let this mind be in you, which was also in Messiah Yeshua, who, being in the form of Elohim, did not regard equality with Elohim a matter to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, and came to be in the likeness of men. And having been found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, death even of a stake. So, in our role and position of where we are as men, as husbands, as fathers, Another aspect that we're to emulate of Yeshua is humility. <clears throat> and again, Yeshua set so many examples for us. Let's look at John 13, 13 through 15. You call me teacher and master, and you say, well, for I am. 
Then if I, master and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should do as I have done to you. So this aspect we can look at as, yeah, Yeshua set an example here of serving each other. And in this aspect or this particular story, he's washing the disciples' feet and he's telling them to do so for each other. One thing that we can learn from this is to not bark orders as an authority figure, but to also do the things that you would have those under your leadership do themselves. And this is something important that I've also learned in the Marine Corps, that if you do the thing that you're ordering other people to do, it will get done better, quicker, and more efficiently. But it's also an act of humility to do it yourself with them as well. It sets the example of how you want it done, and it also lets them know that you're not just on a power trip just to get everything for yourself. You're willing to do the things that you're asking them to do. Now, another important role that men and fathers and husbands have are to be teachers of their families. This is part of their leadership role. 1 Corinthians 14, 34-35. Let your women be silent in the assemblies, for they are not allowed to speak, but let them subject themselves, as the Torah also says. And if they wish to learn whatever, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is improper for women to speak in an assembly. Let them ask their own husbands at home. How are they going to ask their husbands anything if their husbands don't know anything but football stats? I mean, as we, as men, as husbands, as fathers, we've got to be learning, we've got to be studying continuously to learn as much as we can, be as educated and wise as we can so that we can properly lead our families in the way they should go and what they should do for the glory of Yahweh. And sports stats aren't going to get it done. You've got to study Scripture. How else are you going to lead your family into a godly way of life and to doing godly things so that they themselves will also glorify Yahweh if you don't know Scripture? If you're just sitting back and letting some preacher somewhere do all the teaching for you. Okay, Scripture here doesn't say, let the wives ask their preacher at church. No, it says, let them ask their own husbands at home. So men, get in there Get educated, continuously educated. Study, learn, get wise. Fellowship with other men and sharpen each other so that you can go and educate your own family the way that Yahweh and the set-apart spirit is leading you. But it's not the role of some preacher to teach and guide your family. It's your role as husband and father to teach and to guide your family. Let them ask their own husbands at home. And in doing so, in this teaching role, men and husbands and fathers are not to be teaching their own doctrines. They're not to be teaching the doctrines and traditions of the church. They're to be teaching the commands and the scriptures of Yahweh. Mark 7, 6-9. And he answering said to them, 
Well did Yeshayahu prophesy concerning you hypocrites, as it has been written, This people respect me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain do they worship me, teaching as teachings the commands of men. Forsaking the command of Elohim, you hold fast the tradition of men. And he said to them, Well, do you set aside the command of Elohim in order to guard your tradition? Men, if you are not educating yourself and studying the scriptures to be wise yourself, how are you going to pick out false doctrines from the world? How are you going to pick out the false doctrines and traditions of the churches? You've got to be studying and educating yourself so that you yourself can teach and guide your own family. Because as we saw from the Garden of Eden, men have the responsibility for their family. Not a pope, not a rabbi, not a preacher, not a church. You, sir, you have responsibility for your family. And we also need to only do what Yeshua did because Yeshua himself only did what Yahweh did and saw him do. John 5, 19. Therefore, Yeshua responded and said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son is able to do none at all by himself, but only that which he sees the Father doing, because whatever he does, the Son also likewise does. The Son only does what the Father does. And since Yeshua, the Son, is our head as a man, then we should only do what Yeshua does, which is only what the Father does. Yeshua didn't say he does what the Pharisees were doing. He didn't say he did what the Sadducees were doing. No, he said he only does what his head, the Father, does. So we as men, we should only do what our head, Yeshua, does and says. Because Yeshua only does and says what the Father does. Also, Yeshua only did the desire of his Father. And we, as men and fathers and husbands, should only do the desire of Yeshua because he is our head. John 5, 19 and 30. Therefore, Yeshua responded and said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son is able to do none at all by himself, but only that which he sees the Father doing, because whatever he does, the Son also likewise does. Of myself, I am unable to do any matter. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous, because I do not seek my own desire, but the desire of the Father who sent me. So we as fathers and husbands, if we're seeking the desire and the will of our head, Yeshua, then that in turn is seeking the desire and the will of Yahweh, because Yeshua, as he clearly tells us, only does the desire and the will of of his father. Now, obviously, our role as husbands and fathers, as men, don't just go to our wives. It also goes to our children, our entire family. And one of those aspects of our roles as a father is not to provoke them. Clearly taught in Colossians 3.21, Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Build them up, educate them, teach them, as we've already saw, educate them in the way they should go, and when they are old, they will remain in it. Right? It's what Proverbs teaches us. 
but do not provoke them to anger. Because they will be discouraged. They will get down on themselves. All kinds of bad things can happen, as we have seen the results of in modern day culture. Now, it's just one reason why certain people are the way they are, because their fathers provoke them. Another reason is because they didn't have any fathers at all. Another issue. Okay? But it goes back to, again, taking responsibility for your family. You as a man, if you have created life, if you have created a child, you are responsible for that child, for raising them, for providing for them, taking care of them, educating them, teaching them, as we've already seen. You have responsibility. And part of that responsibility is not provoking them so that they are discouraged. Mm, excuse me. There are further instructions for men as well. Titus chapter 2. But you, speak what is fitting for sound teaching. The older men are to be sober, serious, sensible, sound in belief, in love, more on that to come, in endurance. Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible. Show yourself to them an example of good works in all matters. In teaching, show uncorruptness, seriousness, soundness of speech beyond reproach, in order that the opponent is put to shame, having no evil word to say about you. So here we can see that being a, well, this is just men in general, that you are to be a good example, not only to your families, but also to other young men, setting the example for how they should be and teaching them by your example and teaching them, well, again, by your example, uncorruptedness, right? Not being corrupted and doing things for your own benefit or teaching things for your own benefit, but being that good example for the younger generation of men to emulate. This, again, all goes into the roles of men. One of the stranger things you might think that Scripture tells us to do as men is we are actually commanded to love our wives. Yeah. Colossians 3.19 Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. Again, Ephesians 5.25-27 Husbands, love your wives as Messiah also did love the assembly and gave himself for it in order to set it apart and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, in order to present it to himself a splendid assembly, not having spot or wrinkle or any of the sort, but that it might be set apart and blameless. Again, Ephesians 5, 28-33. In this way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but feeds and cherishes it, as also the master does the assembly, because we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This secret is great, but I speak concerning Messiah and the assembly. However, you too, everyone, let each one love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she fears her husband. 
Now, as we go through life, men a lot of times seek out respect, right? We seek respect from other men. We seek respect from our chosen profession, from society in general. So that kind of comes second nature to us. It's just natural for men to desire respect. But the love aspect, we have to be told to love. And that's what Scripture does. It tells us to love our wives. And we are to do that. How do we love? Well, that's different for every single couple, right? Don't want to get into too much detail, but if you have ever read the five love languages, I would, or if you have not read the five love languages, I would highly suggest you pick up a copy of that because every single person, both man and woman, is different. And how they perceive love and how they feel loved is different. Okay? So again, this goes back to educating yourself on your wife and how she feels loved, whether that's time or gifts or words or etc. But however it is that she feels is, or the method is that she feels loved, that's what you should do for your wife because scripture tells us to love your wives even as you love your own bodies. So in leading your family, as taking that role as a man, as a husband, as a father, we have a head or authority over us, and that is Yeshua. And we should submit to Yeshua as Yeshua submits to Yahweh. Because Yeshua is our authority, and the authority of Yeshua is Yahweh. For our families, we need to emulate both Yeshua and Yahweh. We need to be teaching Scripture and Yahweh's commands, not the commands of a church or church tradition, not false doctrine or personal doctrine. We need to be studying and educating ourselves in Scripture, and then turn around and teaching that and guiding our family in the way that Yahweh would have them to go. We, another reason for this is so we can also dispel false teachings. And this is part of guiding and raising up your family. This is something you need to do, man. There's also the self-sacrifice aspect to our role of men as leaders and heads of our families. Sometimes we have to sacrifice time or things or money or whatnot for the well-being of our family. But as men, we have to take on that role of self-sacrifice sometimes. Remember, Scripture commands us to love our wives. That's going to look different for everyone, but find out how it is that your wife feels loved and then love her in that way. That's the command of Scripture. Love your wife. Now, there's a lot more that could be going put into this, but this is already going to be a long drosh as it is. So, that is the section on men. Now we're going to move into the roles of women. And like we did 
for the introduction section and then the section on the roles of men with the roles of women. We're going to go back to the Garden of Eden and start in the beginning at the fall. Genesis 3, 6-7. And the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise. And she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made loin coverings. Genesis 3:13 and 16. And Yahweh Elohim said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The Nahash deceived me, and I ate. To the woman he said, I greatly increase your sorrow and your conception. Bring forth children in pain. And your desire is for your husband, and he does rule over you. So again, we go back to the beginning, and even from the beginning, we see that Adam, or the man, the husband, was head over the wife. Just as it goes down to us today, that's the, that's the scriptural formula for the family structure. And it started way back in the beginning. Now, also because of what the woman did, she also experiences now pain in childbirth. There are drugs now that mitigate that, but the pain is still there, right? Obviously, I've never given birth, but you know how it is. Anyways, we go on, and again, when the Apostle Paul, or Shaul, writes and elaborates on this in his letter to Timothy, 1 Timothy 2, 13-14, because Adam was formed first, then Hawa or Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman, having been deceived, fell into transgression. 1 Corinthians 11, 8-10 For man is not from woman, but woman from man. For man also was not created for the woman, but woman for the man. Because of this, the woman ought to have authority on her head because of the messengers, or angels. Again, establishing the scriptural formula that wives are to submit to their husbands, their head. And again, Colossians 3.18. Wives, subject yourselves to your own husbands as is proper in the master. Now, another important point to bring up here is that a wife or a woman is not to submit under the authority of just any man. And if you're out there and you're a man, you do not have authority and headship over just any woman, okay? Just want to reiterate that. As a man, as a husband, you only have headship and authority over your own wife, not someone else's wife, not some other woman, only a woman that you have married. Ladies, if you're married, the only man you're supposed to submit to is your husband. Now, if you're unmarried and you're living in your father's house, you're to submit to your father. And fathers have headship and authority over their unmarried daughters living in their house. But in general, every man does not have authority over every woman. Just their own wives or their daughters that are living at home. That's why it says here, wives, subject yourselves to your own husband as it is proper in the master.
and wives are to submit to their husbands as they do in submission to Yeshua. Ephesians 5, 22 through 24. Wives, subject yourselves to your own husbands as to the master, because the husband is head of the wife, as also the Messiah is head of the assembly, and he is savior of the body. But as the assembly is subject to Messiah, so also let the wives be to their own husbands in every respect. So just as the church, including women, submits to Yeshua, wives should submit to their husbands in every respect. Again, in 1 Peter 3, 1-7. In the same way, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that if any are disobedient to the word, they, without a word, might be won by the behavior of their wives, having seen your blameless behavior in fear. Your adornment should not be outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on dresses, but the hidden man of the heart, with the incorruptible ornament of a meek and peaceable spirit, which is of great value before Elohim. For in this way, in former times, the set-apart women who trusted in Elohim also adorned themselves, being subject to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him master, of whom you became children, doing good, and not frightened by any fear. In the same way, husbands live understandingly together, giving respect to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the favor of life, so that your prayers are not hindered. So again, the husband is the head of the wife, and the wife is to submit to her husband. We're also told in this passage other things that are of great value to Yahweh. And what is that? That a woman's adornment should not be outward, but rather inward. All right? The hidden parts of her heart, incorruptible ornament of a meek and peaceable spirit. These are the things that are of great value to Yahweh. Not that expensive, flashy outfit that you've got. Not the flashy jewelry or the awesome shoes or the trendy hairstyle that you wear. No. What Yahweh is looking at is the inner person of the woman. The meek and peaceable spirit. Right? That hidden man of the heart. Wives are also told to have other certain characteristics as well. 1 Timothy 3.11 Wives in the same way are to be reverent, not false accusers, sober and trustworthy in every way. And again, to reiterate, a wife's doctrinal teaching should come from her husband and not from church tradition, church doctrine, or from the world, okay? Again, 1 Corinthians 14, 34-35. Let your women be silent in the assemblies, for they are not allowed to speak, but let them subject themselves, as the Torah also says. And if they wish to learn whatever, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is improper for women to speak in an assembly. Again, Learning from their husbands at home. Not learning whatever the preacher happens to say that week. All right? They're to learn from their husbands. 
some more characteristics for women. 1 Timothy 2, 9 through 12. Likewise, that women dress themselves becomingly or modestly, with decency and sensibleness, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly garments, but with good works, which is becoming for women undertaking worship of Elohim. Let a woman learn in silence in all subjection. But I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, rather to be in silence. Oh, excuse me. But again, this is teaching women that one of the aspects of their roles as a woman is to be dressing modestly, appropriately, not with gold and all kinds of flashy jewelry and costly garments and stuff like that, but dressing modestly, learning from their husbands. And also, women are not to be teaching the men. It's the men, the husbands, the fathers, who are to be teaching the women. Hmm. Just one moment. We go back to that point of women dressing modestly. And this is so on the point here. Because as scripture tells us, a woman who doesn't dress modestly is like wasted valuables, right? Just throwing herself out there and trashing herself. Proverbs eleven twenty two, like a ring of gold in a pig's snout is a woman who lacks good sense or good discretion. You take a beautiful woman who is just naturally beautiful, and she goes out there and exposes herself in just all kinds of garb and get up. It's just wasted. It's casting her pearls before swine. It's really ruining herself for her husband. Because her beauty should be for her husband or to attract a husband, yes, but she shouldn't be flaunting it and exposing it out there for everyone. She should be dressing modestly and not like scripture says here, putting a ring of gold in a pig's snout and wasting her beauty. And of course, who can forget the go to section on a good wife? Proverbs 31. This is going to be verses 10 through 31 of chapter Proverbs. I'm sorry, of Proverbs chapter 31. Who does find a capable wife, for she is far more, she is worth far more than rubies. The heart of her husband shall trust her, and he has no lack of game. She shall do him good and not evil all the days of her life. She shall seek wool and flax, and with delight she works with her hands. She shall be as the ships of Tarshish. She brings in her food from afar. She also rises while it is still night and provides food for her household. And what is lawful for her girls? She shall consider a field and buy it. From her profits she shall plant a vineyard. She shall gird herself with strength and strengthen her arms. She shall taste what... Oh, sorry. She shall taste when her gain is good. Her lamp does not go out by night. She shall stretch out her hands to the distaff, and her hands shall hold the spindle. She shall extend her hand to the poor, and she shall reach out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household is dressed in scarlet. 
She shall make tapestry for herself. She is dressed in fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She shall make fine linen and sell them, and shall give girdles for the merchants. Strength and splendor are her garments, and she rejoices in time to come. She shall open her mouth with wisdom, and on her tongue is the Torah of loving commitment. She watches over the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children shall rise up and call her blessed, her husband too, and he praises her. Many daughters have done nobly, but you have risen over them all. Loveliness is deceptive and prettiness is vain. A woman who fears Yahweh is to be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. Enough said. I mean, that's just, it's classic, it's descriptive, it's to the point. It tells you exactly what a good wife looks like. And like it says in the very beginning, a good wife, her value is far more valuable than that of rubies. Now, we went over the roles of men, we went over the roles of women. And again, those sections, there's so much more that can go into it, but we're trying to keep the scope within a reasonable time frame and not have a weekend summit here. So now let's go on and look at roles that apply to both men and women real quick. So first and foremost, something that applies to both men and women is the command against cross-dressing. This goes from... Deuteronomy 22, verse 5. A woman does not wear that which pertains to a man, nor does a man put on a woman's garment. For whoever does this is an abomination to Yahweh your Elohim. So, again, this applies to both men and women. Men are not to wear women's clothing, and women are not to wear men's clothing. No cross-dressing. Enough said. This don't do it regardless of what society says today. We go by what scripture says and scripture says no cross-dressing. Another thing that applies to both men and women from scripture, 1 Corinthians 7, 3-5. Let the husband render to his wife what is, due, what is her due and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except with agreement for a time to give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not try you because of your lack of self-control. Once you get married, a man does not have sole control and custody over his own body. His wife also has control and custody over his body as well. Likewise, when she gets married, a woman does not have sole custody and control over her own body, but her husband then also has custody and control over her body. The husband's body belongs to the wife, and the wife's body belongs to the husband. Okay? And 
like it says here, doesn't go into detail, but you get the point to not deprive each other of marital relations, except for a time in agreement so that you can devote yourself to fasting and prayer, but then come back together again so that Satan does not try you, try you as a man or try you as a woman, but render to each other, both men and women, their due, their marital due. Again, something else that applies to both men and women. James 1, 26-27 If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is worthless. Clean and undefiled religion before the Elohim and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So something else that applies to the roles of both men and women is to take care of the widows and the orphans, the fatherless, right? Again, something that applies to both the roles of men and women, Titus 2, 1 through 8. But you, speak what is fitting for sound teaching. The older men are to be sober, serious, sensible, sound in belief, in love, in endurance, the older women, likewise, are to be set apart in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of what is good, in order for them to train the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, blameless, workers at home, good, subject to their own husbands, in order that the word of Elohim is not evil spoken of. Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible. Show yourself to them an example of good works in all matters. In teaching, show uncorruptness, seriousness, soundness of speech beyond reproach, in order that the opponent is put to shame, having no evil word to say about you. So both men and women alike are to be good examples for the younger generations of their respective gender or sex. Okay? Men are to be good examples and teachers of how to be men to the younger men. Women are to be good examples of how to be good godly women to the younger women. So regardless of whether you're a man or a woman, one of your roles is to be a good, a good godly example of how the younger gender or sex is supposed to emulate. Now, something I think is very important to bring up is this subject of love. All right. And think to yourself real quick, what is love? Maybe you know what love is. Maybe you don't. Okay. We all think of love as this feeling we get, right? We are in love. We have love, right? Feeling so good because of this thing called love, right? Well, that's thinking of love as an object, as a noun. But actually, love is a verb. It's something you do. It's an action, not something you have. And this is the way that Scripture a lot of times uses love in that context of a verb. It's sort of like repent or trust, right? You trust someone and you have trust in someone. But trust someone is a verb. You trust them. 
Likewise, you love someone, that is a verb, it's an action, it's what you do. So love, we need to start thinking of as a verb, not just a noun, mostly as a verb, actually. Look at John 15, 9 through 14. As the Father has loved me, action, I have also loved, verb, you. Stay in my love. If you guard my commands, you shall stay in my love, even as I have guarded my Father's commands and stay in his love. These words I have spoken to you so that my joy might be in you and that your joy might be complete. This is my command that you love, verb, one another, as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, that one should lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. So again, love as a verb, as an action, as something you do, not as something you feel. And probably the greatest action of love that we can remember from Scripture, John 3.16. For Elohim so loved the world that he gave his only brought forth son, so that everyone who believes in him should not perish, but possess everlasting life. So how did Yahweh love us? By sending his only brought forth son into the world to die for our sins so that we may have everlasting life with him in the kingdom of heaven. What are some characteristics of this love that we're talking about? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not boast, is not puffed up, does not behave indecently, does not seek its own, is not provoked, reckons not the evil, does not rejoice over the unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It covers all, believes all, expects all, and endures all. Remember that last part right there, that love endures all. Action, verb, enduring. That's love as a verb. Because a lot of times nowadays, especially especially in secular society, and unfortunately it's a lot within churchianity as well, but we think of love as something that we feel, as a feeling. So we think we're all so in love, we're elated, we're almost like on a drug, we're feeling good. We think we're in love, we love this person, have love for this person, and we decide to get married and we're still in love, it's a honeymoon phase, and then something happens, reality sets in, or just, you know, contentment or whatnot, familiarity, and we think that love is gone. We don't have that same feeling that we had before. It's not that drug high that we thought we were experiencing before. So we think we're not in love anymore. And unfortunately, a lot of people make the mistake of thinking that they're not in love. So therefore, they can divorce, destroy a family. All because they don't have that drug high of love that they thought they had before. Well, this is because love is not something that a feeling, it's an action, it's a verb. 
is something you do, not something you feel. This will lead to drastic consequences that are actually against Scripture. We look at Matthew 5.32. It says here, But I say to you that whoever puts away his wife, except for the matter of whoring, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a woman who has been put away commits adultery. Plain and simple, the one justifiable reason for divorce from Scripture and from Yeshua himself is adultery, whoring. That's the only justifiable reason for divorce from Scripture. It's not because you don't feel love anymore. Okay, suck it up and get over it. Start doing things the right way. Because just because you don't have that drug high of love like you thought you had in the past, that does not give you a justifiable reason to divorce your spouse. The only justifiable reason is adultery, whoring. The world thinks that you can divorce for any reason, even for not feeling in love anymore. That's what the world thinks. And that kind of thinking and justification is rather childish. 1 Corinthians 13.11 tells us this. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I thought as a child. I reasoned as a child. But when I became a man, I did away with childish matters. So the now that we're not children anymore, we shouldn't do childish things like making decisions based on how we feel or don't feel. If you don't feel in love anymore with your spouse, get over it and start doing it right. Start doing love, not feeling love. That's what Scripture is telling us. Love is a verb. So instead of doing things the way the world thinks we should do them, in those childish ways, we should instead start emulating Yeshua himself. Ephesians 5, 1 through 2. Become then imitators of Elohim as beloved children, and walk in love as Messiah also has loved us and gave himself for us, a gift and an offering to Elohim for a sweet-smelling fragrance. So when we emulate Yeshua, we submit to him. That's the same as emulating and submitting to Yahweh, because that's what Yeshua does. He submits to and emulates his Father. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, finish up on this. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. And now belief, expectation, and love remain. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Belief, expectation, and love. Verbs. Things you should be doing, not feeling. And the greatest of these is love. Love for your spouse. Love your neighbors. Even love your enemies. But the greatest of these is love. So, in summary, 
men and women are different. Regardless of what secular society says, men and women are different and have different roles to fulfill, not only in the family, but society as a whole. Men are to be the leaders, the teachers, and the imitators of Yeshua and Yahweh within their family and examples to the world. Women are to submit to their husbands. They're to dress modestly and learn from their husbands. And these are roles of men and women that, again, much more can be said, but these are some of the main points the scripture tells us. Both men and women are to refrain from cross-dressing, pure and simply, regardless of what secular society tells us nowadays is okay and acceptable. Cross-dressing is not one of those. Scripture tells us that men are not to wear women's clothing and women are not to wear men's clothing. And that's just the God-honest truth. We'd like to thank you for joining us tonight for another episode of God Honest Truth live stream. In just a moment, we'll be doing the Aaronic Benediction. So if you have anyone there with you at home that you would like to have gathered around you when we do that, then go ahead and start gathering them together. But while you're doing that, go down below. Let us know in the comments of what you thought of tonight's drosh or teaching. Did you like the massive amounts of scripture that were put out tonight? Did you like the format, the picture of sound? If not, let us know. But also, while you're down there, hit that like button, hit that subscribe button and ring the bell, and also hit that share button and share it around with, let's say, at least two people that you know. Because someone else that you know is going to enjoy this type of content. So go ahead and share that around. So, now that you have everyone gathered together, let's go ahead and do our Aaronic Benediction. Yevarikaka Yahweh, Vayishmarecha, Yair Yahweh Panavelecha, Vihunecha. Yesaha Yahweh, Panave Lecha, Beyasim Lecha, Shalom. May Yahweh bless you and guard you. May Yahweh make his face shed light upon you and be gracious unto you. May Yahweh lift up his face unto you and give you peace. We hope that you have a great and wonderful and restful Shabbat. We hope that this next week before we meet again is filled with good food, good fortune, good friends, good spirits, good health. And until we meet again, make sure to take care of yourself, take care of each other. Shabbat Shalom and Shavuot Tov. Yeah.